Would you please welcome this morning, come on, Urban Church, Annie LaBear as she comes and shares the word and her testimony. Thanks, Pastor Ben. Wow, what a blessing. What a wonderful church. I just have to give honor where honors due. Pastor Ben, um, you and Katie, you're going to make me cry. I wasn't going to cry right now, okay? These pastors have blessed me from the first day they met me. They never judged me. And, and I just, I just want to give honor where honors due. Thank you so much for inviting us out and just loving us through stuff. And you know what I'm talking about. We've been through a lot of stuff as a Christian. How many know that you go through stuff as a Christian too? And you can get real hurt as a Christian sometimes because those people that you think that you love you, sometimes they hurt you and you just got to walk that out. We got a lot of practice in the world, don't we? And that's what I'm here to share today is, yes, Pastor Ben's correct. I'm not just this ex-call girl, ex-hooker, ex-prostitute. I'm a woman that had to walk out my unforgiveness in my family. And there's a lot of reasons why ladies and men and boys and girls get into this business, either by coercion, force, fraud, whatever it is, or because their heart's broken. And I want to share with you today about my heart and what happened to my heart and how my heart got twisted. You know, it's so funny, and it just brings to mind Jesus on that cross and how they twisted. It says in the word, they twisted the crown of thorns on his head because he took our sin, our twisted thinking, our twisted hearts, our broken hearts, and wore that as a crown so we wouldn't have to feel that shame and that pain and that unforgiveness anymore. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. Um, everyone open up your Bibles. I'm going to start with the Word of God. Because I love it so much because it's healed me. <sighs> Isaiah 61. This is such a famous chapter. But I really love it because it shows God's true heart and what he really, really is about. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed and qualified me to preach the gospel. Good tidings to the meek, the poor, afflicted. He has set me to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the physical and spiritual captives, the opening of the prison and of the eyes to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of his favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant consolation and joy to those who mourn in Zion, to give them an ornament, a garland or diadem, of beauty instead of ashes. The jo oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment expressive praise instead of heavy burden and failing spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, lofty, strong, magnificent, distinguished for uprightness, justice, right standing with God, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I'm a, I'm a girl that uh, was born in Minnesota. Can you hear it, my voice? Oh, I hope I don't fall on these, uh, this stage here. I like this stage, but my heels are kind of tall. Girls got to look cute, right, ladies? <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm just this little Minnesota, Minneapolis girl. My daddy was from Chicago. My mom grew up in Minneapolis. She was in parochial school, Catholic, till she was 18. 
So she knew all the Hail Marys and the rosary prayers she used to show me, my grandmother. My dad was a Lutheran. My dad went to church every Sunday. My mom went to church every Sunday. They met at a bowling alley. They had us kids. I have a sister that passed away in 95. Two brothers, two strong, crazy brothers. I love my brothers. And um, we, we moved a lot when I was a little girl. My dad was in the military. He was an Air Force brat, basically, and he was in the Air Force himself. So my dad, unbeknownst to me when I was a little girl, had a lot of uh, abuse in his background from my grandfather. And so the way that we were raised, we were going to church. I really never knew the word of God. I just went there because my dad and mom told me to. And I didn't see the same things that I was being taught in Sunday school practiced at my house. And, you know, I think a lot of us here come from not-so-perfect homes, right? Well, mine was majorly dysfunctional. <laughs> so I, I, I just want to, like, describe. Ugh, I don't know if anyone's ever seen All in the Family. It's such an old show. You might be able to catch it on Nick at Night, Archie Bunker and Edith. That was my daddy. And just a grouch a lot of the times. But there was a side to him that he would cover up and not reveal. And, and that side was his hurt and his pain. And the way that he grew up was heavy discipline. So naturally, what, is, what, is, what do you do as a child raised in that atmosphere? You do the same thing to your children. Even though he did do things a little bit differently, I really believed that I was a bad girl all the time. And I was very rebellious. My sister followed all the rules, and I was mad at her because she always got the accolades, and she always got her promotions, and my dad always talked well of her. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a deep unforgiveness. A root started in my heart and started to dive into my heart and dig a hole. And as I got older, I just thought to myself, you know, I'm going to church. They keep saying the Father, the Father, the Father. The Father loves you. Well, not, he didn't love me to me because I learned the Ten Commandments. I had to memorize. They made us do that in Sunday school, believe it or not. And I believed that if I broke one of those rules, that I would definitely get judged. And if my dad found out that I got, you know, did anything wrong, that I would be completely you know, punished. And so in a way that is probably not normal because my friends in school a lot of my girlfriends had a lot of freedoms. They could spend the night at each other's houses. They could join cheerleading. They could join basketball club. They could do whatever they wanted to. And I was always the girl begging my daddy to ha go have fun. And so I, I, I really believed that when I was a tiny little girl growing up into a teenager, I never really lived out my childhood. What happens when you have someone that's been in a prison for so long and, and suddenly they get set free? Sometimes we go crazy. Even though I didn't physically see those bars, I felt them. Wherever I went, I had very low self-esteem. I felt that I wasn't strong enough, smart enough to go to college. I wanted to go to college. And I graduated from a very tiny little high school, 48 people. There was two scholarships given out. Of course, I didn't get the scholarship because one of my friends got the scholarship and another guy in our class got it. But at that time, right before I graduated school, I met this boy. And for the first time in my life, like my little heart came alive. Besides the Disney movies, ladies. I had crushes on a couple of those Disney characters, believe it or not. Yeah. So 
my heart was already getting set up for that fairy tale fantasy. Oh, he loves me. He loves me not. Roses, dinner, white picket fence, babies. I wanted to be a wife. I wanted a career, but I thought, you know what? This guy's asking me out. Starts, um, we start dating. I'm still a virgin at the time. And he talks me into sleeping with him. I believed him. I trusted him. I didn't realize or think that having sex with someone afterwards, they would have a propensity to dump you because you're not married. Well, I continued to have this relationship with him and not knowing in the back end of things that a couple of my very good girlfriends were sleeping with him too. So just imagine, teenage, hormones raging, ladies, you understand this, right? And you're in love and you find this out. And I come home from school, I was 16, 17 years old, and I was devastated. I broke up with them. I thought, this is it. I'm going to graduate high school. I'm out of here. I'm so done with this school. I'm done with these people. I'm done with men. And my heart was completely shattered, not realizing that there was already a setup in my heart for my heart to be worn on my sleeve. Because my mom used to tell me, Annie, you wear your heart on your sleeve. You're too honest. You're too trusting. You believe everything you hear. I didn't understand her. I said, no, I don't, Mom. I'm dumping this guy. But you know what? Because I wanted to be loved so desperately, it covers our eyes from what's really the truth. And we can fall into sin with that, too. It, we need to take responsibility. But I didn't. Because when the heart's broken, all you do is think about how much it hurts and how much you want to get back that person, just take that stick and drive it into their heart, and you're just hoping and hoping, oh, maybe, uh, maybe he'll get this, or maybe they'll do that, or maybe this will happen to him. Yeah. So I'm thinking these thoughts. He's calling me. Let's go out. No. Really? Mm-hmm. Went to a party, slept with a couple different boys just to make him mad. It was a pretty fun game at the time, but my heart was breaking. I was still in love with the guy. So finally, I left high school, 18, day I graduated, day after I moved over to, I was in Wisconsin, moved to Minneapolis, got three jobs, got my first job the first week I was there, total favor. I'm a workaholic, you know, I admit it. I, when I love something and want to do something, I do it with 120% of myself, which, you know, sometimes can go into works, but, you know, God's been good with me. And I had three jobs, I wanted to go to college, and Back then, there was no internet. It was in the 80s. Totally dating myself. I don't care. I don't look it anyway. I don't look like I'm, uh, should I say how old I am? I'll tell you at the end. So I'm this 80s chick, and I got like, you know, I'm wearing like fishnet shirts, and I got my hair pulled back with feathers in it. Ooh, that's coming back, right? I've already been in this fashion show, right? These jeans, they came back. Look, glitter. 80s. Okay, so I'm setting myself up. Anyway, I go there with just an attitude of, I am woman, hear me war. I am a lioness. I'm going to prowl and get my, I'm going to go get my little meal, meal for whoever I need to give it to. So I go out to the clubs, and I'm uh, dancing. And I didn't drink that much, but when I did, I'd probably get drunk. Didn't have a problem with drugs. I did pot in high school. Didn't really do anything for me. Just made me eat a lot. And 
never was attracted to narcotics because I had never tried them. And I remember that campaign that came through school from Ronald Reagan, good old Ronald Reagan, just say no. That's what we used to have in our schools. I don't know if they still do that, but I was like, oh, I'll never do Coke. Oh, I'll never do pills. Oh, I'll never do speed. Oh, I'll never do this. Yeah, famous last words. I was always against druggies. Never, never thought they, were, um, they would amount to anything. And I always wonder, why are you so weak to take drugs? Wow, you kind of eat the words sometimes that you preach, unfortunately. That's why we've got to watch what we say in the pulpit or in any avenue. And so I'm out here. I meet these guys, me and my girlfriend. And she's got a broken heart just like me. Didn't need to tell me. We just had a lot in common. And we're at this club, and these guys walk up to us. It's like the dead of winter. You just got to picture this. Downtown Minneapolis. We're at this after-hours club. It's 2 in the morning. Drinking age, just turned 21. I was, however, 18, 19. I had a fake ID. Woo! Thought I was something special. Trust me. And I'm just, like, dancing, and I go to the, go to the bar. Oh, I want to get another drink. I'm having such a good time. You know, I look hot. I'm young. Woo! Come on, ladies, admit it. This is how we are when we're younger, right? Come on, keep it real. So they walk up to us. They got furs on. Remember, it's the dead of winter. It's probably about 10 degrees, maybe 10 below. I can't remember the exact temperature, but it's freezing out. And they buy us a drink, and they're just all, back then they didn't have this word, but they were all swagged out, looking hot, dressed nice, smooth. Hey, uh, you're pretty gorgeous. You're hot. You're fine. That was the word back then. You're fine. I'm like looking around. Oh, me? Well, since I never got that type of affirmation when I was little, and since I never I got my heart broken in high school, attracted to boys, I hung out with boys a lot. I didn't realize this, but I was a tomboy because I think I was searching for that love in my brothers even and in his friends because I didn't have it from my daddy. And so let me tell you something about pimps. They see the holes. They're experts at it. A lot of them take psychology classes before they start pimping. Trust me. Yeah, that's pretty shocking, isn't it? I see some faces out there going, whoa. Oh, yeah, it's there to that level. And these guys were finessed. They had been doing it for years probably. But, and I, and I say this for you, Joseph, they said they were car salesmen. They owned a car lot. And that they were real estate moguls. Because I was like, how did how'd you, ooh, diamonds, ooh, where'd you get that watch? Is that a real Rolex? I've only seen that in magazines. I'm a country girl. I saw that in Cosmo. I saw that in whatever, Fortune 500. And so the setup was right there for me. Money always made me happy. I don't know about you, but you know what? If you can afford to buy something that looks good, that makes you look good, and you can drive something that gives you prestige, and you can live somewhere that makes you feel like you're safe and you're in a bubble, the comforts of life, if you're blessed enough to have them, can twist you. And I saw money in these guys, and, and I was working three jobs. Look at the picture here. It's a setup. And so... I totally dove in and said, oh, I'll get a drink with you. And, and we started conversation. And one of my, my girlfriends, she ended up going with one of the guys, talking to him. He buys her this huge rock. And it was real. I made her go look at it, get it examined at the jewelers. Oh, I'm not kidding you, because cubic zirconia just came out. They just started doing cubic zirconias. I'm not kidding you. And I told her, I said, listen, if you're smart, you'll get that ring, because that ring was fat. I mean, it was sparkling. I was like, girl, uh-uh. 
So she ends up going to Hawaii, and she's like, I think I'm in love. He says he loves me. He wants to marry me. Oh, my gosh, he's crazy about me. I can't believe this. And I'm happy for my girlfriend. And I'm also a little more curious about that money that they got. Hmm. Wow. I'm calling you from Hawaii, Annie. Girl, mm, the breeze is hitting my hair. <sighs> I'm on the beach. I'm in a drop-top Corvette. And it's brand new. Oh my gosh, that was my dream car back in the day. Go Corvettes, okay? I love Corvettes, okay? When you put your foot on the pedal, that thing jumps, doesn't it? It's like, wow! And I love big engines, all right? I'm a Mustang girl too, though. So kind of a bit of a war there, Ford and Chevy. But she tells me I'm on a cell phone. And you know, let me tell you something about cell phones. Y'all don't understand, okay? Cell phones back in the day were like this. Hello? I can't hear you. You're breaking up? Yeah. Oh, I got to change the battery. Hold on. Okay, but anyway, you get the picture, right? She's on a cell phone, and I'm like, I can't believe you have a cell phone. Wow, this is awesome. She goes, you get, oh, so, so check this out. Let's, let's get you going. Come out here. Can you take vacation? Well, I was at this company called American Express. You might remember it as at the head office, Investors Diversified Services in downtown Minneapolis, had my great job, got promoted twice within the company. I had stocks, I had 401k plan. I mean, it was a great job actually. And I ended up telling them I need vacation because I've been invited to Hawaii by one of my girlfriends. Why not? Come on, I've never seen Hawaii. I've only seen Hawaii from the Elvis movie, Blue Hawaii. I wanted to go and see it. I had never been to California. I'm this little in a box, little Midwest girl young, full of life, wanting to explore. My heart's broken, covered it up, went there. The first night I worked, I, wa I walked out, and a lot of people asked me, well, didn't you know what she was doing, maybe? I don't know. I think sometimes that we want to try to make things kind of disappear when we kind of see a sign of something bad, just to make it okay and we justify it. Because to me, if she was doing that, well, that's my friend and I love her and maybe she'll share it with me. Well, she, she did. She taught me how to sell my body that night and I would only date Japanese men. And in fact, I can remember the first phrase for my first date, trick, client, what you, what you call it. Asubi ni ikimasho. That means, would you like to go play in Japanese? It's innocent if you use it in the right context, but if you're on the street and there's a client in front of you that wants to buy a girl from Japan, that means naughty things. So I learned that night, and the first night that I did it, here's another thing people ask me, well, how did you feel? I didn't feel anything. Remember the setup, sleeping around, broken heart, might as well get paid for it. Come on, ladies, I'm preaching good right now. Because sometimes I think, ladies, what we do, and there's men out there that have done this too, we sleep with someone because we feel obligated because they've done so much for us, no joke, you're a prostitute. Unless you're married, that's a different story, okay? Marriage is a covenant, holy, unto God. But when you're outside of marriage, you're messing with the devil. And you know what? Here's the thing. I, all I wanted to do was find Prince Charming. I felt like Cinderella. I felt like everyone hated me. I had a wicked stepmother, even though not pertaining to my mother, just my life in general. I, I was never honored where I was. I felt like I was missing out. 
So naturally, when you see a castle, and you see the money, and you see the glitz and the glamour, and you see the horse and the carriage and all that, you're like, oh, goodness. Lord of the Rings, let me put that on. People, people see that movie and may, may not understand how powerful greed and temptation really is. But when, when you see Lord of the Rings, if you've seen it, you put that ring on, there is no turning back. And it is the hardest thing to get. When you know something, how to do something, it's hard to turn back. So I figured out a new way to make money and use people in, in the process and not get hurt. Slam dunk. Slam dunk for Annie because she's going to go to college now. And she's going to be a successful businesswoman with a beautiful sports car. She is not going to have a pimp. Now, here's another thing that I didn't share is that my girlfriend and I completely believed that they weren't pimps. And later on, she, she figured it out, and I did too. And it's unfortunate, but it was a little bit too late. Because these, these pimps, traffickers, what have you, manipulators, punks, whatever, they have, they have mastered the art of romance to the extent that a normal girl, Midwest girl, would fall for that. I've, I've seen girls that have fallen for this that were rich girls, that they're mad at their parents, and their parents have taken their money and held it back because they were rebelling. So now they become escorts because mom and dad aren't paying their bills anymore. It can happen to anyone. There is no boundaries with sin. If you invite it by your lust and your need for something because you've got a big, giant hole in your heart, it can happen to anybody. I didn't just fall into this. I walked into it. I saw the door and I walked through it. I knew it was wrong to sell my body. Absolutely. Come on. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Who doesn't understand that? But to me, it was justified. People had to pay. You got to pay for what you did to me. Attitude. Mm -mm -mm. I'm going to get revenge. I'm going to be successful. You know what they say? There's a saying, the best revenge is success. Is it? I think that's a lie. I might, at back then, I started making a lot of money. I moved back to Minnesota, well, went back to Minnesota, worked escort services, quit all three of my jobs. Started working at the strip club. I love dancing, okay, just in general, slam dunk, I love it. It's great energy, it's fun, the right music, the right atmosphere. I love parties. Perfect setup for me. I could dance, express myself, and get paid. Wow, burlesque, absolutely. That's what I did. I started dating clients on the side, getting money from them, and then eventually, one day, a couple months into it, maybe it was like six months, this guy walks in, and back then the stages, they, were, they would come out. There's some stages still like that in the strip clothes, but they'd come out all the way in the middle, like uh, where everyone's sitting here. Sorry, I'm making you a stage today. And you would have to walk out and actually have an act. You would have to know what you were doing. You'd wear a costume. You would line up your music. And you were the star of the hour. You were the star. You had a 20-minute set. You'd do three sets per show. You'd travel. But all the clients would go around the stage, and you would go from client to client, and they would tip you. Everybody would see, so nothing naughty would go on. There was no private dances on couches back then. There was no private VIP rooms back then. That just started happening in, I would say, 87, 88 with Solid Gold in Minneapolis. That franchise took off huge with Deja Vu. I don't know if you've ever heard of those strip clubs. They're kind of a franchise. 
they started doing that and obviously that's prostitution because in the VIP rooms, yeah, there's no lights, there's low music and you can kind of trick people into getting their money. You can grab their wallet and do what you need to do for it. So this guy walks in and he sits down and he throws like 100 bucks, I don't know, maybe it was 200, I can't remember. And he looks up at me and he was so drop dead gorgeous. And I had seen a bunch of movies with heroes in it. And he reminded me of Denzel Washington. And I was like, ooh, this guy is fine. Ooh. I told my girlfriend, did you see that guy that walked in over here? Oh my gosh, I can't even dance in front of him. I'm so nervous. I don't know what, my heart's pitter-pattering. That same moment that we feel that first spark of infatuation, that's what was happening to me. I didn't, I didn't realize it wasn't real love, but to me it was. And so we started dating, buying me roses, taking me out to dinner. No one had ever bought me a rose before. I was so blown away at the, at the way this man knew how to talk to me. He spoke life into me. You're hot. You're gorgeous. And you know what? You got brains. No one ever told me I was smart before. You are so smart, Annie. Well, my, my name back then was Fallon, but you are so smart, Fallon. Fallon, oh, I just can't believe I know you. So I started really, really seeing this guy in a serious way, and I was hiding prostitution from him. I was hiding what I was doing. Yeah. And I started to open up to him a little more. I had a couple clients treat me pretty bad. And I opened up to him one day, and, and I noticed that he was, because I asked him, what do you do for a living? And I goes, I want to tell you right now, I can't stand pimps. Let me break you down some too short. You provoke no feelings. You must have forgot the girls with whom you're dealing. I haven't the urge to get busy like those dizzy lizzies who used to dance for you. You're through. That's what you are. I'm not... You, you can step back, Jack, because you know what? I'm not going to be with no pimp. I'm not a hoe. I'm this, I'm that. And he was like, oh, no, 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 you got me messed up. I, I'm not a pimp. Well, what do you do? Since I just broke down to you what I did, you need to tell me what you're doing. Because I'm getting real with you. I just told you I was a prostitute. Hello? And he said, well, I'm just trying to make ends meet, Annie. I'm just hustling. Anyone ever see that movie, Hustle and Flow? I think everybody here probably, huh? almost everyone. This man was dealing drugs, and I actually started dropping off drugs with him, carrying guns. Yeah, I was uh, doing both fences, and I told him, I said, man, I think the cops are following us. The cops were at our apartment one day, and he got in big trouble, and I told him, I said, let's get out of town. Let's move. Yes, I invited the man with me, invited him into my life. I was in love with him. Brought him to Vegas. First night I got there, making money, got home, put my purse on the counter. And he said, break yourself. Now, the only time I had heard that word was in these rap songs about pimps and hoes. And I cocked my ears and I thought, no, he didn't say that to me. And, and I told him, no, are you kidding me? Who do you think I am? I'm not giving you anything. And he proceeded to pull me out with the back of my hair and drag me out to the porch with cement, threw me on my knees and started beating me down. This is pimping, B. B, you knew, B. You saw it. It was a setup. You saw it. Don't, don't play innocent. And I got beat that night. My nose got broken. I, it got cracked like three times. I don't remember. It was like in my face. I was unrecognizable. 
shocked. My girlfriend, the one that was with the other guy, looked at me and said, I'm so sorry. And she had realized what she had introduced me to. She said, Annie, you got to leave him. And I did leave him. But he came back and was looking for me and got on his knees and said, I'm sorry, cried. It might have been crocodile tears, but back then they weren't crocodile tears to me. They were real to me. And yeah, I believed him. He said, I'm going to change. You know what? We can do this together. We're Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, we were listening to Ice-T, too. And uh, what's his name? Yeah. What's that guy's name? You guys help me remember. He's a great actor now. Um, Ice Cube. I love him. Anyway, I do. He's a good guy. And so this is what happened. Was I freely a prostitute when I started? Absolutely. What does prostitute really mean? To sell oneself sexually for goods or money, right? But now here I'm down in Vegas, wonderful, beautiful, fantasy, fake Vegas with all the lights. The Mirage hadn't even been opened yet. That was their first giant themed hotel, Steve Wynn. And I stayed with this guy. He brought home underage girls that had fake IDs. When I found out, I would get beat down for it. I helped girls escape. I left him. Um, he kidnapped me, cut all my hair off, beat me with a poker from a fireplace. And a lot, of, a lot of you might look in my eyes and think, you know, Annie, that's terrible. And some of you might think, why would you stay with someone like that? When you don't love yourself, and when you've been shamed to the ultimate shame of shame, which is hard to explain unless you've been there on the floor, no clothes, someone beating you and kicking your face and telling you you're worthless, you're just a hoe, and that's all you're ever going to be, Annie, Fallon. Wait till your parents find out, Fallon. Wait till I tell your best friends, Fallon. You're a hoe. You're going to be the laughing stock, and you'll never get a job. And you know what? If you leave, I'll make sure that people around you don't live. I'll make sure that your parents know. I'll pay them a visit. And so what I like to call it, and I, I heard another girlfriend of mine that... Um, HFJ help at Destiny House, the term it like this is, it's the pimp mafia. They all know each other. It's like a gang. They're all looking out for each other. They're all telling each other, and they all exchange girls and buy and sell their girls between each other. That's just how it is. That's the game. So by the time, you know, I finally had my heart hardened toward this guy, but my heart was breaking. I'd go back to him several times. See, some people don't understand this part, too. It's like domestic violence. You get beat down, and then there's this apologies and roses and presents and I love yous and please help me. Come on, don't you love me? I, I'm going to change. I'll go to counseling. And then you, get, then you say, okay, last time. And now you're in this honeymoon phase. You're happy. You're going shopping. You're, you're hanging out. You're, you're kicking it with each other. You're just loving on each other. And then here comes a moment in time that you do something they don't like and you get beat down again. So it's a basic cycle of abuse. It's so simple to look at and say, well, that's pretty obvious that you're just going to keep getting abused. But you can't do that. You can't tell one of these ladies that have, hasn't waken up to the fact that the man that she's with doesn't really love her. 
that he's using her. And that's why we have to have a lot of grace on these ladies and men that are in this industry because they don't know what real love is. It's a manufactured, illuminated angel of light that is the devil that fell from heaven and his minions and demons that are disguised as that Prince Charming or that beautiful queen, Queen Jezebel. So, like I said, I finally got away. But check this out. I was so mad. I had probably given this man millions of dollars. I don't even know. I was making between, on a bad night, 1000 On an okay night, 3000 A good night, five, six, whatever. That's not including the escort fee. This is all high-class escorting in Las Vegas. I was the top girl in, in, in Las Vegas at several different companies that I worked for. They kept calls coming, and I probably, on, on an okay night, it was 10 guys. On a busy night, 20. Hotel to hotel, hotel to hotel. Boom, boom. Okay, Annie, I got to call you. Free the Mirage. I got to call for you at Bellagio. Okay, wait, no. Okay, hurry up. Go to this call first. This guy's been waiting an hour for a blonde. I'm giving all the money away to my pimp. So when I finally did leave him, I had to work during the day. I hid. But I was very upset and hurt because I had given this man everything. When I left my pimp, I left my cars, I left my jewelry, I left my clothes. I had to get out of Dodge, basically. You can't take anything with you because they will, they will find you and, and chase you down to get their stuff back. And then you get your, get your beaten. You get served, that's what they call it. And so I wanted to make that money back and I was basically trying to work just as hard without my pimp I was trying to make it. I was like, well, I'm really going to do my college fund now. I'm really going to go to art school and music school because that's what I really wanted to do. I love, I'm an artist by nature. I love to create things. I, I get visions and I, I like to paint. I love to sing. Um, I like to write. And I wanted to do that. I, in my heart of hearts, I wanted to do that. And I thought, if I just work maybe one more year, and well, that year turned into, I, I was in escorting for 11 um, I got with another man that was just as abusive because I thought he loved me. And at this point, the 10th year, I was completely sober. I probably drank a couple times, got a little tipsy, got drunk a couple times, but alcohol wasn't really my weakness. But the day came that I had cancer. And if you, if you can see from the stage, I don't know if you can because the lights are pretty bright. My neck's kind of scarred right here because I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I discovered it when I was looking in the mirror one day. There was a lump on my neck. And... So at this time, my sister had died that year, my uncle and my grandfather, and I had came down with cancer. And can you just imagine my frame of mind? My parents don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm back in, I'm in Vegas. I'm stuck in Vegas. I'm trying to make it. I'm trying to get the money back that I gave this man. I'm just, and I know willingly that I gave it to him. Even if it was coercion, I, I didn't want to believe that because he, he had my heart. And, and I felt like it was my fault. So I had all this shame on me, regret, rejection. And I ended up uh, doing, popping a pill because my doctor gave me, I, I'm not even kidding you, I probably had 500 or 600 pills in my cabinet that I didn't take. This little blue pill called Lortab, Lorset. Because I had a lot of pain in my bones from the chemotherapy. I lost all my hair. I was wearing wigs on my calls. I'm working only a couple days a week because I'm so sick. I have to have a bucket next to my bed to throw up. And this is where it gets really, like, it was hitting the wire. I, did, I had a Bible. 
I had a Gideon's Bible from a hotel that I took when I was 18, and I kept it. I don't know why, but I highlighted the entire Revelations chapter. I read the New Testament one time in my whole life when I was in Italy in 92, 93. And it, I, I think God was doing something to me because I read Jesus' words, and I thought to myself, that woman in adultery, I wonder if she was a prostitute. It's highly possible that she was. But I came back and I had that Bible and I hadn't, written, I hadn't opened it up since I was in Italy and it was sitting there on, inside my drawer. And when I got really sick and I thought I was going to die, I, I told God, I, I know you hate me. Are you judging me for this cancer? I truly believed he was judging me. And I prayed to him and I said, God, if, if I'm dying for what I've done, my life, will you please get me out of this? And back then I was praying to him. When I was a little girl when I was five, I remember saying the prayer, Jesus, come into my heart. I don't think he ever left. I was a prostitute with Jesus in my heart. I might not have been walking it out right, but he never left me. And I think some of you out there think that once you do one bad thing, he's gone. Because you're a sinner now. Well, hello. We all are. Saved, unsaved. And so I didn't realize this. Major, major condemnation. Just guilt. Self-hate. I felt so rejected. I looked in the mirror and there was no hair on my head. I looked like a skeleton girl. And I'm stuck. Stuck in the sex industry. And I have no way out. And I cried to him. I said, God, if there's any way you can get me out of this, I know I'm in sin. I knew what iniquity meant. But I got on those drugs, and I felt a little better. And I started stuffing all my pain and all my grit down on my, down on my feet. It wasn't in my heart anymore. I didn't care. I just thought to myself, i got to get out of this. I met this guy. He was one of my clients, actually. Good friend of mine now, and he's saved, and so is his children, praise God. But unbeknownst to me, the movie Pretty Woman, actually, for me, was one of my favorite movies. Because I thought for sure, some guy's going to see me and say, I like that girl. Well, he did, and he took me out of the industry, but the industry was still in my heart. I, I got a job at beautiful beautiful, successful business he had. And he showed me how to be operations manager. He trained me. We went to Japan. This Japanese company gave us millions of dollars, opened up this store. And my salary was pretty good without a college education. I was making, I think I was making 60 grand a year. An ex-hooker, wow, really? I was pretty proud of myself. He was the only one that knew my secret. No one else did. And I always thought to myself, someone's going to find out. Someone's going to find out. So I'm sober for a couple years. But see, I had a way of getting clients. And if anyone of you are salespeople out there, you understand this. You've got to smooze, and you have to visit them. And, hey, how you doing? Here's some donuts. How you doing? Hey, we can do this for you. And I got a bunch of accounts in Las Vegas for our business. And there was a couple of those accounts, and I don't say this publicly that often, but I, I made it happen. You can figure that out in the closet with some of the managers. And they knew who I was, but only they knew. And I brought that business to our shop, and our shop was very successful. So I was still working. 
the day came that our, our shop, we partnered with this company from Atlanta that took it and basically stole the idea. And within a year, we went bankrupt. I had a million-dollar home, four cars in my garage, minks, diamonds, Chanel, Versace. Oh, yeah, this wasn't from selling my body, or so I thought. Successful corporate businesswoman, Annie Lobert, operations manager, Carsmetics. And when we lost everything, I thought to myself, not again, not again. I am not going to handle this. this, this is, there is no way I'm going to do this again. No way. I was so upset, sober Annie upset. And me and my friend, one day I looked at him and I said, I want to go skiing. Now, I physically like to ski, but I meant snow skiing as in cocaine because I had tried it before and I kind of liked it. And so that, that little skiing expedition lasted about nine months. And in that period of time, we lost our house. We lost our cars. I sold my Lexus for drugs. I remember signing the title over knowing I'm going to go buy, buy cocaine, knowing I'm going to fly to Arizona to my dealer, who was a trick of mine, pure coke from Columbia. I was going to go get it from him because I had learned how to cook it, how to rock it up. I had learned how to smoke it at this point. And as the, cop, the cops came, to the house to shut us out of that house. I never forget what I did to him. I had the broom in my hand, and this is probably such a crazy thing or a picture to see someone like devastated like this. Skinny, I'm on drugs. He's coming to the door and he says, Miss LaBear, Mr. So-and-so, we have a court order to lock this house up. And I, I flipped out. I said, I have to go in there and get my Windex. And that night and the next couple weeks, I didn't realize it, but I was pregnant. I had a miscarriage. I'm not proud of that. I've had abortions and miscarriages, but I think about my kids. I know my kids are in heaven. But that baby didn't deserve to die like that. And um, her name was Destiny. And so... Um, a couple weeks after that, I, I was, we were in the CD motel. We had been living in the car. Just we had nothing. And I realized that everything that I had ever tried in my life, I failed at it. Maybe what my daddy told me when I was little was true, that I was dumb. Maybe all those words those people in my life insulted me with were absolutely true, that I was worthless, that I was a ragdoll, that I was nothing, that I was, I was ugly, that I was dirty that I was just a hoe. And so the night came, and, and you guys saw it on the video, but that I just lost it and just didn't want to be around anymore. I didn't purposely do it. I think I just wanted to have those feelings of regret. How many of you know how regret feels? I know there's everyone. Come on, we're, we got witnesses here today, man, that you know that you did the wrong thing, and you are paying for it. Oh, and I love that scripture. He could not pay. You know, Jesus was sold too. There's no price to be paid for a life. Back then, they think it was 30 pieces of silver, right? And I, when I started reading the word, I cried out to Jesus that, that day, and I really meant it. But when I started reading the word, after I went to the hospital and I was in my bed and my lungs were healing, I remember reading that, when Judah sold him, it was 30 pieces of silver. 
And God just showed me. He was like, Annie, I know how you feel. You're not a prostitute. You're my child. You're my princess. You're my garland of praise. You're more precious than rubies. Oh, and I love the Wizard of Oz. I love those shoes. But yeah. And I started to heal. I didn't go to church at first. It was about a year and a half. But when you're in trauma, I didn't realize this, but I had post-traumatic stress disorder. When you're in trauma, you definitely need counseling. I had anxiety attacks probably about, I, verbatim, 20 or, or more a day. I couldn't move. Anyone ever had an anxiety attack, panic attack before? They're pretty serious. They're no joke. You feel like you're going to die. You don't know why you feel like that, but you just do. And not realizing that I really believe God was delivering me. And, 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 and I prayed. And I, the first story I read in the Bible in the Old Testament was Jezebel and Ahab. And God had me on my knees tell him, I'm sorry, God, for selling my body. This is your temple. This is, your te this is holy ground. You are in me. And I didn't know what I had. And God just started setting me free. Just letting all this old junk, all the old clothes fall off me. The dirty rags that we think are so good. And we look so good in front of our family or our friends and our jobs. It's, it's, it's filthy. Our righteousness is filthy, it says in the word. It's filthy. And when I realized how nasty it was and how I ever thought I was any better than that, it's like it set me free. And I started thinking to myself, if I can be set free, wow, I had so many friends that were there that are still there to this day that I cry for and that I pray for. But there's nothing I can do because God hasn't touched their heart yet, but I know he will. And a lot of the ladies that I know now that have heard the story, and there's been a couple friends that have heard my story that I knew from back in the day, and I even talked to one yesterday, one of the phone girls. God's, got, God's getting them. And so I finally started going to church. I met Pastor Ben and Katie. This was in 2003, but I started going to church in 2005, and I was afraid of Christians. I'm going to be honest with you. Certain Christians and certain churches, and just in general, it's kind of scary to walk into a place where you don't know if people are going to judge you, throw rocks, if it's going to be Pharisees and Sadducees in the pulpit. You don't know. Whitewashed tombs, whatever. You're just like, whoa. Because if you remember the story, I didn't even share this scripture, but if you remember the story of the woman in adultery, she was outside and they brought her in front of everyone. Of course they didn't bring the guy. Of course not, right? And she got judged verbally. But Jesus stood up for her. And he never took the Torah in his hand. He never banged her on the head with it. He just simply stooped down. We don't know what he wrote in those beautiful, holy, I think, sand that he was writing in. Because I would have loved to touch that sand. And he just said to her, go sin no more. And I had to turn. Repentance just isn't, it's not just stopping to sin. It's, it's a change. Repentance, true repentance is a change of your heart. And so my heart, my heart, he captured my heart. 
and my unforgiveness. I want to read you one thing about bitterness that I lived for. I lived for vengeance. I lived for revenge, almost verbatim for 16 years, okay? It says in Hebrews 12, 15, exercise foresight and be on, this, on the watch to look after one another to see that no one falls back from his fails to, and fails to secure God's grace, his unmerited favor and spiritual blessing in order that no root of resentment, rancor, bitterness, or hatred shoots forth and causes trouble and bitter torment and the many become contaminated and defiled. So when I received his forgiveness, like many of you have already, and maybe there's some here today that need that today, and maybe you're a Christian that doesn't really understand it, but after you hear my story, you'll get it a little more. When I received the present that he gave me, his grace, his favor, his love, unconditional, I married him. And I told him, you're my guy. You're my husband, God. Jesus, you are everything to me. I am your bride, and no more will I wear the black dress or the red dress of the harlot. I'm righteous in your eyes, and it's, it just completely changed my life. And so later on, I, I wanted to reach out to the girls, and this is the story of Hookers for Jesus. I started to go out to this trip by myself and sit at the bars and talk to the girls that I knew. It didn't have a name back then. It was just Annie with my number on the card. But God showed me. He's like, you're my hooker. Because I came across that wonderful scripture. Matthew 4.19 says that I'll make you fishers of men. And I'm telling you, that's what I became. A hooker isn't just a prostitute. That is a worldly world that we have put on society with these girls, judging them, okay? A hooker is a, is a fish hook. If you look it up in the dictionary, it's like, I don't know, five, six, seven meanings for it. And another one is a fish boat that fishes in Holland called the hooker. There's another cool meaning for it. People that rescue people with helicopters, the Coast Guard, they have these long hooks that come down and, and they rescue people out of the water. The people that fly those and the wives are called hooker wives. Isn't that cool? So what more could God do with that word? And it's been controversial. We have been slammed by a lot of Christians and conservative people that say we're blaspheming God. But God said, no, you can't blaspheme what I've made righteous. You just can't. It's the blood. I'm a hooker for Jesus, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. And we all are. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. The first four men he called were fishermen. What message does he want to get out to us? There is people in that sea drowning from their own rejection, hurt, pain. It says in Isaiah, I came to let those out of the prison, to help the poor and needy. Are we poor when we're rich? Do we chase dreams and successes? If we don't have God, we absolutely are. This isn't just for the homeless person. This isn't just for the prostitute. This isn't just for the drug addict and, oh, the gang member and the pimps. Those are the bad people. No, this is for all of us. We all need him. 
the richest man, the highest follower on Twitter. And by the way, I like to say this because it's true. Just because someone got a lot of followers don't mean it's the real thing because, you know, Hitler, you remember him? Okay, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to share with you, and I'm just so blessed, Pastor Ben. Um, thank you so much. I think that's it. Thank you. As you're dropping that in, listen to me. If you think that this story was just about prostitution, you missed it. I I'm listening to this story and I'm thinking, you know what? That story fits right next to David in the Bible. Who was a murderer, who was an adulterer, who was a backstabber. That, that fits right next to the story of Rahab. You know what the Bible, the main theme of the Bible is? It's this, it's redemption. Our God is a redeemer. He redeems. He, and listen to me. Uh, I love church, but one thing we're not good at is restoring. We're really good at finding some problems and pointing out the problems. But one thing we need to get good at is, is helping restore people. You know what I love about the story of David? I love this. is the fact that he committed adultery. I don't love that part. But he committed adultery. He murdered somebody. But then God gave him back the kingdom. That, ladies and gentlemen, is redemption. That's restoration. Listen to me, there are people sitting here today that maybe you came out of adultery. Maybe you were the product of it. Maybe you were the one that caused it. I don't know. There's people in here that, like last week, we talked about fornication, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about some different subjects and ongoing. Listen to me. Listen to me. The cool thing is this, is that God redeems. He offers hope and He restores. And listen, one thing, I, I, I told my leaders from day one when we started this church, and I'll remember this, I want to be a picture of redemption. Listen to me, if someone slips and they fall, man, let's, let's cover them. Let's not just be their friend when they're doing well. Let's be their friend when they're, do, when they're down. Are you with me? And I think the greatest picture in the world would be if, if we could take some of these that have fallen, whether they be pastors, whether they be Christians, and we could work with them, and we could see them restored and see them back where they belong. Are you with me? Okay? That is a story of redemption. And so I believe in this, and I believe what God's doing through her. But listen to me. You might be here today, and maybe you're, maybe you're not walking through exactly that, but you can, you can relate with the pain. You can relate with the turmoil. You can relate with some of the hurt. You can relate with the rejection. Whether it be at a job, whether it be from a mom, whether it be from a dad, whether it be from a husband, whether it be from a wife, but I don't know who, but maybe you can deal with that. Maybe you can relate with that. Listen to me today. Do not keep running back. If you hear something from her story, don't keep going back. Go, turn to Jesus Christ. Are you with me today? Because He really will bring that hope. Listen to me. Hear my heart today because I want our church. Listen to me. I want, I want, this, I want, I want worship leaders up here. I want pastors up here that haven't been perfect all their life. You've heard my wife's testimony. She was an ex-druggie selling drugs, had an abortion. But yet she's a pastor now. I would love to see this. I would love to see more drummers and worship leaders not say, look, I've been perfect all my life. I stayed pure all my life. But you know what? Say, you know what? I went through adultery, but God redeemed me. I was a fornicator, but God redeemed me. I, I was once bound up in homosexuality, but God, but God redeemed me. And that they could stand on this platform, an urban church, and they could lead worship right here. That they could pray. Are you with me this morning? This is the church that I believe Jesus Christ wants. Listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling condemned right now, get in Christ Jesus this morning. So I want you to close your eyes right now. And I want to conclude this service this way because this is a powerful testimony of God's grace. 
And listen to me today, it doesn't just have to be about sexual sins. It doesn't even have to be some overt, like, major sin. You could just be harboring unforgiveness in your life. And because that, the relationship with God is severed. But I want you to walk out of this place today in relationship with Jesus. And so you're here today. You're here today. And you know that you are not as close. I love what Annie said. I asked Jesus into my heart at the age of five. And when I was prostituting, he never left me. The Bible says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Although I might make my bed in the pit of hell, he'll be right there with me. I like to t- interpret it this way. Although I might live like hell. Come on, somebody. He'll be right there with me. I love what she said. Listen to me. Jesus is still for you. He's not against you. He's still for no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing right now. But you got to stop and you got to turn and you got to live for Jesus.